Well, good morning. We as a church are in a sermon series through the Minor Prophets. Each week we are looking at one of the 12 books in the Minor Prophets together. And this morning we are in the book of Zephaniah. This short book, three chapters long, is viewed by many as one of the most depressing prophetic books we have in our Bible. This is a very harsh book. The prophet Zephaniah, speaking to the southern part of the kingdom, Judah, warns the people that destruction and judgment is coming. The stunning opening words of this prophecy is like a mighty drum or a loud gong that should startle listeners into recognition of the seriousness of the situation at hand. Zephaniah, speaking for God, starts off his prophecy with these words. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Disorder, darkness, chaos is coming. And Zephaniah poetically describes the reversal of the creation account that we could read about in Genesis 1. These words that I just read for us are some of the most vivid and graphic language of judgment found in Scripture. As well, Zephaniah uses a phrase that if you've been a part of this series, you've heard us talk about, because many of the prophets use a phrase, the day of the Lord. And Zephaniah, even though it's only three chapters long, uses the day of the Lord more than any other prophet. The day of the Lord is a day when God will vindicate his honor and judgment against sin will happen. If we continue to read on in chapter 1, we would see that this judgment is not just promised to the nations, but to God's own people, the favored tribe of Israel. Now, with all this being said, some of you might be wishing you didn't show up to church today. (laughs) Maybe you're thinking, why is this the Sunday my friend decided to show up? Some of you might right now think, why do we have to be so negative when we come to church? And I'm going to say that I understand if you feel a little bit of frustration or uncomfortable when we talk about judgment and wrath and God's anger. I get that the idea of retribution for sin and rebellion is not an easy topic to address. So we need the Spirit to move and help us. So let me pray for us as we enter into this time. Almighty God, we long to see you. Open our hearts and make them pure. Spirit, we wash our hands in mercy. Come teach our souls to love your truth. Father, may those words we just sang be true now as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you know that I am a father of four, and all four of my children have either been in or presently are in the Chicago public school system. And figuring out where your kids should go to school is often a difficult process. And as your kids get older, especially if you live in the city of Chicago, starting with seventh grade on, there is a pressure that rises when you think about where are my kids going to go to high school. Our youngest daughter is going into seventh grade next year. And for a variety of reasons, we applied to a few new CPS schools for her to transfer into. 
And we found out a few weeks ago that she got put on a wait list for all the schools that we applied for. Well, we were waiting and wondering if something would open up. And a couple weeks ago, actually on Mother's Day, we were coming back, my wife and I, from picking up my daughter's stuff from her first year of college. And we came home, and it was Mother's Day, and Lucy was in the kitchen, and she had a card that she had made for Linda, my wife. And it was a Mother's Day card, and basically inside of it, it said she got into the school that we wanted her to get into. We didn't know that she had been communicating with the principal, and she found out that this was going to happen. We were so happy, and both of us, my wife and I, moved towards our daughter to want to celebrate this good news, and Linda got to her first and began to hug her. And as she's hugging Lucy, Lucy starts crying. She actually starts sobbing in tears. And she looks up at us and she says, I, I don't know why I'm crying. Linda said, well, you're crying tears of joy. She had never experienced the fact that we might cry sometimes when we're happy. Crying felt out of place with what she was feeling at that moment, and it was really sweet to watch. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, just before I prayed, I talked about how the judgment of God is coming that Zephaniah describes. And here's the thing. If we had time this morning to read chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 13, just before the passage I'm about to read, what we would see is great pain and destruction anticipated. The response of the people of God in verse 14 should be a response of sadness and lament. The cry of the people of God should be a crying of mourning and tears of pain and suffering because of everything that was promised was going to happen. So the prophet has said what's going to happen, and now hear what the response of the people of God should be. Zephaniah 3, verses 14, I'm going to read for us. You can follow along in a Bible or in your order of worship, or you could just listen as I read. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never fear evil. On that day it shall be said of Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame, and I will gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I'll make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is God's word, and it is given to us for our good. All this talk of judgment, all this talk about the day of the Lord approaching, and the last thing you would think anyone in Zephaniah's day would do would be to sing aloud and rejoice 
and exalt with all their heart. And yet this is the call of response that we're given here. This little book of Zephaniah has some of the darkest words of wrath and judgment in all of Scripture. And it also has some of the most beautiful descriptions of God's love and mercy anywhere. And we need to hold both of these truths together. We need to see the reason for judgment and mercy. We need to see the need for retribution for sin and the need for restoration for sinners. A choice is offered in this book to the people of Judah and it's offered to us as well. We can choose to honor God and repent of our sins and experience his blessing and mercy or we could persist in our disobedience and possibly face judgment. This book is a hard book for us to read, but it's a good book to deal honestly with our sin. All scripture is clear, including Zephaniah, that when we see our sin and our brokenness, we should respond with mourning and repentance. But as well, when we see the offer of grace and forgiveness from our God, we should rejoice, we should exalt, we should experience what my daughter experienced, tears of joy. So let's talk a little bit about the sin and brokenness that Zephaniah addresses in this prophecy. This prophecy is to the people of God, basically telling them that they're not living like the people of God that they were called to be. In this book, like we see many times in scripture, idolatry, worshiping of other false gods was rampant. And the people of God wanted to connect their false gods with God himself. There was a lot of religious syncretism going on. They wanted both Yahweh and the false gods to meet their needs. And this led to great hypocrisy where so many were pursuing and trying to please both God and their own desires equally. Now the pursuits of the people in Zephaniah's day were the pursuit of comfort, of wealth, and of indifference and influence. <laughs> These were the gods they worshipped alongside God himself. And the question we have to ask is, are we any different? Every culture and people that have been introduced to God, there's always this temptation to diminish God in their minds and to live as if there's no ramification for our actions. This was a struggle back in Zephaniah's day, and it's a struggle in our day as well. False religion or syncretism is a soil upon which springs social inequality, wrongful use of power, injustice, and apathy towards God and towards God's people that he has created in his image. Many of us are very apathetic towards God and his holiness. Many of us are quick to avoid what God calls us to do with our lives. To me, one of the most convicting verses in this whole book is found in the first chapter, in verse 14, where God says, I will punish the men who are complacent. I get so complacent when it comes to God and his calling in my life. I easily get apathetic towards God, his holiness, and his calls to obedience. And yet at the same time, I live often so self-sufficient and confident that I can do what I need to do to get by. And I don't think I'm alone in this struggle. 
So what do we do with this? How do we not only address the apathy and the self-confidence that we have, but how do we not just get depressed and defeated when we think about our sin? How do we sing aloud and shout for joy today? How can any of us rejoice and exalt with all our hearts today? And let's be honest, how can any of us really truly rejoice when there's an anticipation of the day of the Lord coming? Zephaniah calls these people to rejoice even though the day of judgment was going to come, and it did. When the nation of Babylon came and took God's people into captivity, that is when the day of the Lord began. We are called today, even though we know in Scripture that there's another day of future judgment to come, that there's a day when God will truly vindicate his honor with justice and judgment. How did the people back then, and how do we sing and exalt with this truth in mind? How can anyone go before God in praise knowing judgment is coming? Well, we can only sing because we know the power and the hope we need for salvation from judgment is not about us. We can only have hope because of who God is and what God does. Zephaniah, in the passage that we're looking at today, wants his people to know that even in the midst of judgment to come and the purification of God's people, the Lord is on the side of his children. The personal pronouns in the last three verses of our passage highlight what we must place our hope in. God says, I will gather those who mourn. I will deal with your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will change their shame into praise. I will bring you in. I will gather you. I will make you renowned. I will restore your fortune. It is all about God and what he does for us. God restores this broken, sinful, needy people, and he promises in verse 19 to save the lame and gather up the outcast. The lame in Scripture are the ones whose internal weaknesses make them helpless. The outcasts are those that God gathers together who were separated from him. God promises to come and gather those who have turned to him from their sin. God promises in this passage to take away the judgment of his people. God promises to be in their midst. These promises were given 600 years before the birth of Jesus. These promises that God would be in their midst was given many years before God, Emmanuel, Jesus, was among us. The promises to take away the judgment was given way before our Savior Jesus hung on the cross in our place. And if this promise was true for the people back then, how much more should this promise lead us to worship and rejoice and shout with joy? How much more today on this side of the cross should we have hope in the midst of judgment and it should lead us to humility to realize our place and our position as God's people? How much more in our sin and our rebellion today should we repent and return to our God? God is with us. God is for us. God is celebrating over us. Verse 15 says that the King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. All the earthly kings up to this point have failed. All the leaders that were 
set apart by God to help promote justice and truth and holiness for God's people, led them down a path of destruction. But God says the true king, the great king, is in their midst. He is a king who is mighty to save. He is a king who gives victory over our enemies. In verse 15, it says God promises to clear away the enemies. And this is a huge promise given to the people back then. The very enemies were about to take God's people into captivity. The Babylonians were about to destroy their land, plunder their cities, and take captive everyone. But God promises victory over the enemies of God. And there's another enemy that God fights against in this book and in Scripture. And that is the enemy of sin. That is the enemy of rebellion. That is the enemy that is often consuming us. And God will not let our sin win. God will not let our hearts stay wayward from his truths and his love. God moves into our lives and clears away our enemy. God is a mighty one to save and he takes away our judgment. Do you believe that even though we deserve punishment for our sin, even though we still live often in rebellion of God, that he offers us hope? I remember when I was in seminary, one of my professors told this story. He said he was asked one day by one of the students, what is your favorite part of the Bible? And the professor said, that's a hard question to answer, but if I had to answer it, and I had to choose between the Old and the New Testament, I would probably choose the New Testament. And then he said, if I had to choose a section of the New Testament, I'd probably choose one of the Apostle Paul's letters to his churches. And if I had to choose one of the letters of Paul, I'd probably choose the letter Romans. And if I had to choose a section of Roman, the first section, 1 through 7, or the second section, 8 through 16, I would probably choose the second section of that book. And if I had to choose a chapter, I would probably choose chapter 8. And if I had to choose a verse, I would probably choose verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. What an amazing truth to grab hold of. What amazing truth to believe and respond to. And this is our hope, that God sees our sin and our failures and our rebellion, and he says, I will take away the judgments upon you. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you, because my son took care of it when he died. You know, if you don't know this Savior today, if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, I am glad you are here. Our hope is that this is a place where you can explore and learn and question who God is. I hope you can learn a little bit more about this mighty one who promises to save. And look, I know many of you in this room do know this Jesus. Many of you know the grace and the mercy that is given to us. Many of you believe that you are forgiven by God. You believe this true. But some of you deep down right now believe that God is disappointed in you. Some of you feel like God has to love you because that's what the Bible says he does, but he doesn't necessarily like you. Some of you feel very distant from God right now. You feel like you haven't done enough yet 
to please God, to have a relationship with him. Some of you are feeling really guilty. And you feel that you're too far away from God right now to see any change. Some of you feel that addiction is so strong in your life, that pull of the world is too powerful, and you have no hope. And some of you, the shame and the failures of your life is real and painful and consuming you. Some of you keep running from God. You run from God because you don't believe he ever wants you back in relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, stop believing those lies today. Stop believing that you are worthless, that you are hopeless, that you are beyond the grace of God. May we believe these words that we heard. The Lord our God is in our midst, a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Our God loves you deeply. Our God delights in you. Our God sings over you. He doesn't just like you. He's madly in love with you, and when he sees you, he can't help but break out into song. God says to you today, come to me. All of you who are failing and sinning, and I will give you salvation. Come to me, all of you who feel that shame and guilt is overwhelming, and I will rejoice over you with gladness. Come to me, all of you who are broken, and I will quiet you with my love. Come to me, come to me, and I will burst out in a song of joy over you. We need to come to this God of justice and judgment, this God that will not let us stay in our sin and brokenness, We also need to come to this God of mercy and grace who offers everything we need to overcome the judgment. Brothers and sisters, please come to Jesus today, maybe for the first time or the thousandth time. Come and admit your sin and your failures and your guilt and know that God is ready to sing a song of sweet forgiveness for you right now. Don't ignore your sin. Don't act like it's not that big of a deal that we fall short of what God calls us to do with our lives. God is a holy God and he calls us to holiness. We cannot ignore that. But nor can we ignore that our only hope for our sin is in what God provides for us. Our work, our actions, our obedience does not save us. We can't get to God by being good or obeying God. It is grace and grace alone. But as people who are brought into relationship with God, the mighty one who saves, we respond with lives of gratitude and praise and service to our Lord God and his kingdom. You know, at the beginning of my sermon, I use my daughter Lucy as an illustration. And whenever I use any of my family members in a sermon illustration, I get permission beforehand. And so I went to Lucy this week and I said, I'm thinking about using you in this sermon. And I hadn't worked out all the details of what I was going to say, but I kind of gave her a general idea. And I asked her if it was okay if I used her. And she was like, absolutely. I love when you talk about me in the sermon. And I said, well, Lucy, what if I said something embarrassing or a bad story about you? She said, I don't care. As long as you talk about me, that'll be great. 
I wish we were more like Lucy when it comes to what God says about us. I wish we were okay when God speaks words that challenge us and make us uncomfortable. I wish we were glad that God speaks to us even if he says things to us that we don't want to hear. I wish we listened more to God when he pushes us to live in light of his kingdom and his grace. And I also wish we were excited and believed that God longs to talk about us and God sings over us, that God loves us and is pleased with us. The Lord is in our midst. He is rejoicing over us now. He is quieting us with his love. And he is exulting over us with loud singing. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for your prophets that challenge us and encourage us and point us to our need. And may each one of us now, wherever we are in faith, wherever we are in relationship with you, turn to you and know that you're already facing us and smiling at us and singing over us and offering quiet forgiveness and mercy and grace that we all deeply need. In your holy name, amen.